more and more the image of Christ. Bless you, Holy Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to continue along with the series that we've been teaching for the last several weeks, Healing Belongs to Us. And I want to use the same text scriptures that we've been using, Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, and Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Matthew 8, 16, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Folks, I want you to realize that Matthew is saying uh, that he's quoting Isaiah, what we know is Isaiah 53, verse 4. Isaiah said, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. These words, griefs and sorrows, are translated sickness and pains in other places in the Old Testament. Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now the words that he used, uh, born and carried, concerning sickness and pains, are Levitical terms. They're Levitical words. They literally mean to bear a burden away to a great distance. There's something that um, I think is good for us to identify and dwell on, and that is through the ritual sacrifice system that God established through the law of Moses, it was in effect for several thousand years, and for those several thousand years, no people on the face of the earth have ever been equipped with the knowledge of substitution. They knew that every sacrifice they made was as a substitute for themselves and their own sins. Now, idol worship that takes place and took place to a great degree in the uh, nations of the Old Testament, the sacrifices that were made to idols were all about appeasement. They were often, most often, vegetables or crops or something like that offered unto these idols for the purpose to appease the gods so that their crops would produce and so that their lives would go the way that they wanted to. But the Israel, the Mosaic sacrifices, were not about appeasement. They were instructed particularly concerning the day, the day of Atonement and the sacrifices surrounding that. But not only that, there were other blood sacrifices that were made as well. They were well-schooled. Israel was well-schooled by the rabbis through the instruction of God to identify with the blood of the animals that was slain as being a remission for their sins. Or really, uh, the Old Testament term would be atonement. The difference between remission of sin and atonement is atonement works for a specific period of time. Remission is eternal. So the sacrifices that Israel made always pointed to a substitute. It always pointed to something else shedding blood and giving its life to cover the sins of Israel. God established the ritual sacrifice system so that Israel would know what a substitute would do and what the value of a substitute would be so that when the Messiah came, they understood that the sacrifice that the Messiah made of his own blood would pay for the sins of Israel once and for all and cause those sins to be remitted. So in Isaiah 53, 4 again, surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. 
The stripes that Jesus took on his back were to pay the price for sickness, just as the shedding of his blood would pay the price for sin. Now, folks, I want to remind you of something that Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, the word gospel is good news. So he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus. Well, what good news is he talking about? Folks, he's talking about the sacrifice, the substitutionary sacrifice that was made by Jesus through the shedding of his blood once and for all to deal with, to remit, to remove the sins of Israel. And, of course, the gospel went first to the Jews and then after that to the Gentiles. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the good, the good news of the, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, if you will. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is the fact that Jesus has paid the price for sin and sickness and poverty, according to the Bible, once and for all, never to be sacrificed again, never for a sacrifice to be made, but the perfect and sinless blood of Jesus would stand once and for all, for all eternity. Thank God for the finished work of Jesus. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city. Behold a man full of leprosy. Who seeing Jesus fell on his face. And besought him saying Lord if thou wilt. Thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him saying I will. Be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show himself to the priest, and to offer for thy cleansing according to Moses commanded, according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. One of the greatest needs or necessities to obtain healing that Jesus paid for through his substitutionary work, you've got to have questions answered. You've got to have the, the questions answered that would stand in the way of any person receiving their healing. Now this guy, this leper, shows what questions he has. He's obviously heard of Jesus. He's obviously been made aware of other people that were healed from different conditions or diseases, sickness and disease. Maybe he's heard of other lepers being healed as well. But this guy has an understanding and a belief that Jesus has the ability to heal sickness and disease. His question is whether or not it's God's will for him. Folks, one of the things that I think we fail to recognize is that it was a whole lot easier to get people healed in Jesus' day than it was or would be today. Now, the reason for that is not because Jesus had more power than the church has today. We have the same power and in one sense even greater power than Jesus had on the earth when he was in his earthly ministry. But there was nobody that was preaching that healing was against God's will. So when Jesus tells his disciples, commissions them, we'll see in a, in a little bit, where he sent his disciples out to heal the sick, there was nobody that was saying that healing was against the will of God. But the church has been preaching for a certain part of the church at least, has been preaching for 2,000 years that it's not God's will to heal, to heal everybody. 
They believe and they confess. They preach that God has the ability to heal, that he can heal because he's called God and all-powerful. But they also preach and claim that it's not God's will to heal everybody. That's the same exact situation this leper's in. He believes that God, Jesus, God's representative on the earth, has the power to heal leprosy, the most dreaded of all diseases, the incurable, the ultimate incurable disease. But he doesn't know that if Jesus would will for him to be well. So again, the leper said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man but to go and show himself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Verse 15, but so much the more went there a fame abroad of him. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of him by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Luke is the third of the Gospels that is written. Matthew and Mark were written about the same time. And then some 10 years or so later, Luke's Gospel came out directed by the Holy Ghost. And Luke adds some details to us concerning some things that were written. We know this story is also in Matthew chapter 8. The first part of the, of the chapter is the story of this uh, same leper who came to Jesus and said, I believe you have the power to heal me, the ability to heal me. I just don't know if it's your will. And Luke tells us something that's very important that great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed not just to be healed but to hear now folks Luke must understand the importance of hearing connected with healing they came to hear and be healed Folks, I've got to tell you, just in the pastoring of this church for 36, 37 years ago, however old we are now, I've run into a lot of people that came to be healed, but they didn't want to hear anything. They weren't interested in hearing the Word of God they were just interested in me praying so that they'd be better. They'd be delivered of whatever sickness or condition they have. But folks, the Bible says God sent his word and healed them. Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent his word and healed them. Now the preceding verses talk about people that were held captive to sickness and disease because of their own sins. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they committed sins themselves and brought the sickness on to themselves. But by default, the world is in sin and iniquity. And so if we don't take some position and exercise the authority that we have as children of God, then we're going to be subject to those same sickness and disease conditions that the rest of the world is subject to as well but these great multitudes came to hear and to be healed to hear and to be healed I realized a long time ago that there's very little you can do for somebody if they haven't come to hear the word and to have a change occur in their heart in order to take hold of and receive the blessing of healing that Jesus paid for. And I've thought about that, given it a lot of thought over the years. 
And here people are putting their faith in prayer rather than putting their faith in the Word. And folks, I've got to tell you, I've seen a lot of people go down believing in prayer. In fact, it's James chapter 5 and verse 15, I believe it is, that says, and the prayer of faith shall heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise them up. See, it's not just prayer. It's a specific type of prayer. It's the prayer of faith that can and will only come by the hearing of the word. Look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 verse 17. And he came down with them. Talking about his 12 apostles. He's just named those. And he came down with them and stood in the plain. And the company of his disciples. And a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem. And from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and they were that were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed and the whole multitude sought to touch him for there went virtue or power out of him and healed them all here again Luke identifies for us that the multitudes came to hear and to be healed Now, it seems that this multitude or these multitudes in Luke 6 have built on this, the results that the multitudes got in Luke chapter 5. And as a result, it's manifested power. Power of God, healing the healing power of God that's activated by faith. They came to hear and be healed. And power went out of Jesus to each and every one of them and healed them all. Like I said earlier, it was a different kind of faith and an easier thing to get people healed in Jesus' ministry during the three years, three and a half years that he spent in ministry on, his, on the earth. See, nobody had Paul's thorn to deal with. Nobody had the teaching of Paul's thorn which much of the church world believes was physical sickness and disease that Paul had and uh, maintained throughout the course of his ministry. Nobody's preached that yet. Paul hadn't even been saved yet at that point, at the point in time that Luke 5 and 6 is talking about. The Bible teaches that our authority is exercised by the words that we speak. Our will is exercised by the words that we speak. And you may remember that one of the two eternal laws of God that are identified in Numbers chapter 14, God said to tell, told Moses to tell the people, as truly as I live, I will deal with them according as they have spoken in my ears. Now, as truly as I live, that phrase, as truly as I live, means that it's something that God is identifying as a statute and an ordinance to last for all time. There are two outstanding characteristics of how God lives. One is that he's eternal. And the second is that he never changes. So the eternal, never-changing law of God is that God will deal with us as we, as we have spoken in his hearing. In other words, you have what you say. Jesus pointed this, out, this same principle out in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, when he's talking about the operation of faith. He said, therefore, whosoever shall say unto the mountain. Well, he's talking about things people say then. Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. That's Jesus reiterating God's eternal and unchanging law in his earthly ministry. And it's right at the end of his earthly ministry to be accurate. 
Now turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Jesus called his 12 disciples together. Verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Folks, healing is without doubt, without question, a part of the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus identifies it. One of the problems that, that um, or questions that I had for many years was about the disciples and the way that God dealt with them and the instructions that he gave to them when he sent them out to preach the gospel. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared, and his disciples were so blown away by it that he upbraided them and reprimanded them because he had been teaching them for the last part of his ministry on earth. He had been teaching them that he was going to, to Jerusalem. He'd be taken captive. He'd be killed. And in the third day, he would rise again from the dead. The Bible says, beginning from Matthew chapter 16, at his time in Caesarea Philippi, that he clearly taught his disciples no parables, no vague mysteries. He clearly taught them openly that this was what was going to happen to him well they didn't believe it now i'm not i'm going to try not to be too hard on them because maybe we wouldn't have believed it either but there were also times where jesus told his disciples not to tell anybody not to preach that he was the messiah well then what in the world were they supposed to preach what did they know except that? We find that Jesus told them to preach the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? Jesus defines it for us in Matthew chapter 6, what we know of as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The preaching of the kingdom of God was very simple. It was preaching and telling the people that God wanted the same thing for them here on the earth that he would want for them in heaven. Now, when we put in those terms, it makes sense. And I can't believe I struggled with it for as long as I did because it's so simple and so clearly stated. Why would God want something different for you on earth than what he has prepared for you in heaven? God doesn't change based on whether we're on heaven or in heaven or on earth. He doesn't have one will for his people on the earth and another will for his people in heaven. And therefore we can identify what to some degree at least what God wants for us by looking at what the Bible tells us about heaven. The Bible tells us there'll be more no more crying There'll be nothing in heaven that'll make you cry beyond the, the, upon your very first arrival. The Bible says God will wipe away every tears. So the only thing I can think of that we might be sad about in heaven is finding out the people that didn't get, uh, didn't accept Jesus and make it to heaven with us. But beyond that, that one-time definite time event. There's nothing in heaven that can make us cry. Nothing that can be hurtful or harmful in any way whatsoever. Now, folks, the things that are in heaven, we would have to conclude that since God created them and lets us know a little bit about them, that the things in heaven would certainly identify as being the kingdom of God. 
Everything in heaven is the kingdom of God, the domain of God, the rule of God. So when Jesus sends his disciples out to preach the kingdom of God, he's got to be talking about things in heaven. He's got to be talking about what we recognize as God's will for his people once we get to heaven. Is there any sickness in heaven? Is there any possibility of sickness in heaven? The answer to both of those is no. So the kingdom of God can be defined or is defined as what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will, the will of God, be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Well, if we bring that back to the discussion of sickness and disease, God doesn't want you to be any more susceptible or subject to sickness and disease here on the earth as you will be when you get to heaven. Now, there's only one difference between earth and heaven concerning sickness and disease, and that is in heaven there isn't any sickness and disease. And here on the earth, he's made a way for us to walk in victory over sickness and disease. That's the only difference there is. So when Jesus sends the apostles or his disciples out to preach the kingdom of God, they're preaching that God wants the same thing for you here on earth as he wants for you in heaven. Then he sent, he's called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He makes a definite connection between the kingdom of God and healing the sick. So we know that healing the sick, divine healing, is therefore part of the kingdom of God. Verse 6. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Preaching the gospel, the good news. Now it can't be talking about the finished work of Jesus in this case, because Jesus hasn't yet been to the cross. He hasn't been raised from the dead. So what is the good news? The good news is that God wants the same thing for you here on the earth as he wants for you in heaven. Did it work? Well, it says again, they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Brother Hagen told a story about T.L. Osborne great missionary evangelist that was a, a good friend of his and had been a good friend of his in ministry for many years. And Brother Osborne had healing campaigns in different parts of the world. He did a lot of work in Africa, but he went to other continents as well as he was directed by the Lord to go. And there was a full gospel denomination, the Assemblies of God, that had their annual minister's meeting. I don't know if they still do it, but they did it for many years, decades. And they invited Dr. Osborne to come and preach to their preachers. And so he was the keynote speaker at one of the evening sessions. But then they also set up a, a question and answer session for him the next day in the afternoon. And you've got all these missionaries and evangelists that gathered to hear, hear what he had to say. Now, Brother Osborne would have these healing campaigns. And there would be people that would come by the hundreds of thousands to these campaigns that he had going in different parts of the world. And the healings and the miracles that he got were beyond reproach. There were notable miracles that were done that nobody could disagree with or argue with. It was obvious and manifest clearly that the healings and the miracles were God 
in action. And so when you got to the question and answer session, the room was packed. And basically, there was just one question that they had. And the question came out something like this. How is it that you have healings and miracles everywhere you go, but we can't get the same results with any campaigns that we establish or, or ministries set up? And he answered, and he said, it's very simple. He said, if I can beat you there, I can get healings and miracles. If I can go to a place where you have not been to and taught that God sometimes will heal or that God has the power to heal but doesn't want to heal everybody. He said, if I can beat you there, I can have miracles that rock the world. He said, but the other, the other side of that is true as well. If you've already been to a place that I'm going to go, then I'll have very little results because I don't have time to teach them that Paul's thorn is not sickness in the flesh. Jesus is sending out his disciples in Luke chapter 9 to places that nobody's been before in this sense. Now, it doesn't just work with the disciples. Chapter 10 tells us that Jesus sent out the 70. After these things, verse 1, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where he, whether he himself would come. Therefore, he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Folks, let me stop here long enough to make a comment. How many of you know of people that are praying for their relatives to get saved? How many of you have prayed for your own relatives to be saved? Do you realize there's nowhere in the Bible that tells you to pray for somebody's salvation? No place in the Bible. Now, the reason for that is because Jesus has already sacrificed himself. He's already made the sacrifice. The work that he's done to bring about salvation is a finished work. And so when we pray, Lord, save our loved ones, the Lord, save our relatives, whoever it might be, we're asking him to do something that he's already taken care of. Paul tells us that God has established the foolishness of preaching for people to be saved, not prayer. Prayer alone will not do the job for getting our loved ones saved. But one of the things that Jesus does tell us to pray is that the Lord will send the laborers into the harvest. So instead of praying for your loved ones to be saved, pray that God would send somebody to them that can share the gospel with them. Pray for their spiritual eyes to be opened so that they can receive the gospel as it comes. See, God knows who the right person to send your, to your relative and loved one is. We may or may not know who that would be. Actually, if it is a relative, the closer the relative, the less they're likely to hear, listen to what you have to say. So if you want to pray your loved ones into the kingdom of God, quit praying for them to be saved. Pray that God would send a laborer across their path. Jesus goes on. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves, carrying neither personal script nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And to whatsoever house you enter first, say, Peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And into whatsoever city you enter 
and they receive you. Eat such things as are set before you. Verse 9. And heal the sick that are therein. And say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Notice again, the kingdom of God is connected with healing for the physical body. Now Jesus does not say, if a city receives you, heal some sicknesses there. Don't expect to get a leper cleansed or somebody like that. But you might be able to get some minor illnesses healed and people recover from those. The reason he didn't say that is because the authority that he's given, giving to his 70 disciples, which is less than the authority that the church has, is absolute authority over sickness and disease. Skip over to verse 17. It tells us about when they come back. Well, let me, I skipped over some verses. Let me go back to verse 10 first. But into whatsoever center, city you enter and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same city and say, even the very dust of your city which cleaves on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying whether they accept it or not. The kingdom of God has come. And the kingdom of God includes sickness and disease. Jesus ran into this same situation in Luke chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6. It tells us, both accounts tell us of his time in Nazareth where he, was, where he had been brought up. And the city rejected him. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5 says, And he could there do no mighty work, save that he lays his hands upon a few sick folks, a few folks with minor ailments, in other words, and healed them. Now, when it says Jesus could there do no mighty work, it implies that he tried and failed. Now, who would ever imagine the Son of God who had the, word, the anointing of God, the power of God without measure, be limited by anything that people in town in any town on the earth could do. See, the church has got this pie-in-the-sky idea that the sovereignty of God means that Jesus could have just bulled his way through in any and every situation and, if necessary, forced people to be healed. But, folks, if you could force people to be healed, then you could force them to get saved. Except Jesus, Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come. So it's determined by man's will, not God's. We know what God's will is. God's will is the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, rather, to be preached on the earth in such a way that God wants to reveal to people that God wants the same thing for them here as he has provided for them to have in heaven when they get there. Well, if Jesus is limited by the unbelief of the city, he marveled because of their unbelief, Mark 6 tells us. If Jesus could be hindered by the unbelief of the city, then we can be hindered by the unbelief of the city that we're in too. So Jesus told these 70, if they receive you not, make sure you tell them anyway that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. In other words, the kingdom of God is established whether people receive anything or not. Skip down with me to verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now, if you go back and read through the, all the things that Jesus said, some of the verses we read, but not all of them, he doesn't say one thing about casting out devils. He doesn't say one word about giving them authority over the devil. But that's what they come back and report. Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Apparently on their missionary journeys, they've encountered the devil 
encountered evil spirits in operation in people's lives. And they rebuked those devils and told them to come out, and it worked. That would be the only thing that would cause them to come back with this report, isn't it? Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. These two words, power, in verse 19, are two different words. The first word, power, means authority. The second word, power, means ability. Let's read it that way. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the ability of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Well, we see how God intends for man to operate here on the earth, free from anything that can hurt them, just like God has provided for them in heaven, provided for us in heaven, that there's nothing there to hurt us. So he's saying through the exercise of authority over the devil and his power, we can manifest the kingdom of God in our lives. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 12. Verse 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You want to know what God's will is? You're going to have to renew your mind to the truth. You're going to have to renew your mind to what the Bible says about who God is and how God operates. You want to walk in healing and health? You're going to have to renew your mind to what the Bible says about healing and health. That may mean you have to quit hanging around with certain people. It may mean you may have to change where you go to church. But he talks about a transformation that takes place. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Transformed. By getting saved? Accept Jesus so you be transformed? No. There are a lot of people that are saved that haven't renewed their minds. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, that word prove means to experience, what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, folks, I don't believe God's got three wills. Good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, it's without doubt that sometimes we'll follow the will of God up to a certain point. And maybe stop growing from that point forward. Well, it was the will of God for us to grow as far as we went. Even if we didn't continue to go forward. So there are times when we are in the acceptable will of God. Or the good will of God. But God intends for us to renew our mind completely and totally. To what his word has to say. So that we can determine by experience the perfect will of God. And it all comes about through the renewing of the mind. Now the Bible also talks about the renewing of the mind in different terms. It calls, James called it the saving of the soul. He's not talking about a spiritual change. He's talking about a change in our soul or a renewing of our mind. What is the renewing of the mind? The renewing of the mind is the operation of the children of God laying claim to the, prize, the things that Jesus paid the price for with his precious blood. When we renew our minds 
We're renewing our mind to the finished work of Jesus. Now, folks, when it comes to healing, Jesus has already done everything he's going to do about your healing in mind. He paid the price by taking stripes upon his back. So for us to say, Lord, heal me, how's he supposed to respond to that? He's already healed you. Healing was already accomplished once and for all by the finished work of Jesus. Now, we may not have taken hold of it. We may not have accepted it. Maybe we didn't, but just now find out that healing is a part of the redemptive plan of God. But if we're looking for God to do something about our healing, Jesus isn't coming back to the earth and taking another stripe on his back for you or me. But remember what Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That word salvation is an all-inclusive term. It means to save. It means to make whole or heal. It means to reveal It means all the things that Jesus paid the price for. It means the finished work of Jesus provides for everything concerning sin, sin, sickness, and poverty. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said, for it, the good news of the finished work of Jesus, is the power of God unto all the things Jesus saved us from. We're going to have to renew our minds to this. Now, how do you renew your mind? Joshua 1.8 gives us the step-by-step process. God told Joshua, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. The word meditate means to speak. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Remember Jesus said that the kingdom of God was like planting seed in the ground in Mark chapter 4. That means there's a growing time. Now, some things take longer to grow than other things. But there's a growing time, a growing period. Between the time that you plant the word by speaking his word. Until that seed grows up. And we can identify with spiritual maturity in that area. We're talking about healing. So let's say it that way. If we're going to walk in divine health, if we're going to receive our healing that Jesus has already paid for, we're going to have to meditate in his word. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. That means we're going to have to say it and say it and say it and keep saying it. No matter what it looks like, no matter what the symptoms of sickness might be in our bodies, We're going to have to speak what God's word says about healing from sickness and disease. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that's written therein. For then, after we speak the word of God, after we Plant the word of God into our heart and attend to it. Take care of it and not let the devil change what we say based on how we feel or what things look like. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. 
Well, prosperity concerning sickness and disease would be healing, wouldn't it? For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt be healed. And then thou shalt have good success in life. The renewing of the mind is speaking God's word into our hearts again and again and again and again until we are more convinced of the truth of God's word than we are the physical circumstances or con conditions. That's how we make our way prosperous. That's how we have good success in every area of life. Because whatever you're stumbling over, God's got an answer for in his word. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We magnify your name. We thank you for revealing to us the power of your word and how we can apply your word to our life so that we can take advantage of and receive everything Jesus paid us the price of his precious blood to obtain. Father, we thank you that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. We thank you that we're healed from every sickness and every disease. We thank you that we have authority over COVID and every form of it. We thank you, Father, that by our words, we are justified and take hold of healing for our physical body. Jesus, we accept you as our substitute, not just for the saving of us, our, the renewing of our spirits by gaining victory over sin, but also gaining victory over sickness and disease. Thank you, Father, that we have authority over all the work of the devil no matter how he might come against us in, in this life. And nothing shall by any means hurt us. We bless you, Father, for your great plan of redemption that was carried out and completed by Jesus' work on the cross. We bless you, Father, and we worship you and give you thanks for the things that we're believing for that have not seen yet. We declare that sin has no authority over us, sickness has no authority over us, and poverty has no authority over us because of the finished work of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done for us. Amen and amen. Let's all stand, please. Let's do this together. Say these words.